I got to ask. So this is Wisconsin, and I heard Ellen already bring this up. But is there anybody who preferred last weekend's weather to this weekend? All right, we got like two. And I know you're not from Wisconsin because you're, you're in Virginia too. So, all right. Any, anyone else prefer this weekend? No, that was sorry. It's like, yeah, I guess so. How many of you are like, I am really glad the snow is done? All right, that's what I thought. Thank you. Now, how many of you are glad to be in church today? Thank you. There we go. All right. And I'm glad you're here, too. We're going to be continuing on this series entitled Hope. Now, last week, two weeks ago, uh, we kicked it off by looking at a woman who had a serious illness. And yet it just took one touch, one face-to-face encounter with Christ. And it, and it really didn't even take the face-to-face encounter. It's what Jesus did to make it a face-to-face encounter. He's not looking to just have a moment. He's looking to have a relationship. This week we're going to continue in that in uh, Mark chapter 9. If you want to turn there, uh, Mark chapter 9, if you want to use your mobile device, feel free to Google Mark 9, and it will bring you right to where we're going to read in just a moment. And today's message is entitled, Help Me Believe. I don't know if anyone else has ever prayed that beside myself, but you get yourself in a spot and you're like, Lord, I think you can do something. Help me believe. Help me hold on. I want to set up today's message a little different than I usually do. I want to start today's message by talking about what happens before what happens. So in the previous part, before the passage we're going to read in a moment, Jesus had taken two of his disciples up to a mountaintop. And when they get to the the top of the mountain, all of a sudden he just kind of goes sci-fi, I'm sorry, it's three, in front of Peter, James, and John, and he starts glowing All right, that'll freak you out when you're walking somewhere and all of a sudden your friend starts glowing. So Jesus starts glowing. They say he's an incredible bright white light. And then alongside of him, Elijah and Moses show up. Here's two men who haven't been on the scene for thousands of years. And they're standing side by side with Christ having a conversation. In a very small way, imagine walking and all of a sudden one of your friends is talking to Abraham Lincoln and George Washington. Be a little bit of a different scene, right? This is thousands of years before, and they're having this conversation. Jesus, Elijah, and Moses. And Peter sees what's going on, and he interrupts them. I'm not kidding. He's like, hey, guys! And they all turn and look at him. And he freezes. Let's build something here to remember what just happened. And I just picture the three of them staring at him. It actually says in verse 6 of of this chapter... It says he didn't know what to say because he was so scared. So Peter, once again, spoke before thinking. I know I'm the only one in the room who ever does that. Yeah. So they have this amazing experience on the mountaintop, a holy experience, a God-in-the-moment experience. And now it's time to leave the awe-inspiring. It's time to leave the glow of the presence of God. It's time to go from the mountaintop back to reality. Now let's read our passage for today. Mark chapter 9. We're going to begin reading at verse 14. It says, When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered. Stop for one second right there. The Pharisees and the disciples are arguing. When Jesus asks, all right, what are you guys arguing about? It's like dealing with your kids. 
Neither one of them answered. It's this guy, random guy in the crowd who says, I'm going to tell you what they're arguing about. Let's read on. It says, teacher, I brought my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him into the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible to the one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can only come out by prayer. So we've got this incredible contrast <coughs> excuse me, between the first scene that we talked about, the part before this passage, and the second scene in which Jesus comes down from the mountain. On the mountaintop, it happens in the mountain. This experience happens in a valley. On the mountaintop, there's glory. In the valley, there's suffering. On the mountaintop, God dominates the scene. Here, Satan seems to be the one dominating the scene. On the mountaintop, the heavenly father is pleased. In the valley, the earthly father is tortured. On the mountaintop, there's a perfect son in Jesus. In the valley, here's this oppressed and tortured son. From a miraculous mountaintop scene to a very personal interaction with a man who is desperate for his child and holding out little to no hope. From a perfect heavenly father and a perfect son to an earthly mess and a struggling parent. How many in the room who are parents or have been parents can admit parenting isn't always a mountaintop? All right. Now, I want you to think about yourself as a child or a teenager and what you put your parents through. Now, how many of you would say, yeah, parenting isn't always a mountaintop? You're either experiencing it or you're the cause of it. I'll let that sink in. <laughs> it's not always easy. As a parent, we try to do our best for our kids, but people don't always see our intent. People will draw their own conclusions or offer their helpful advice. And here's the first blank. Here's a helpful hint. A lot of people will have plenty of advice for you, especially when things go wrong. Verse 14, when they came to the disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. We can fix this. No, we can fix this. This is probably the dad's fault. I mean, obviously, his prayers aren't cutting it. Look at the mess his child is in. He doesn't have any more ideas. We'll take care of this for you. We can solve the problem. But they couldn't. 
when I was working in college ministry, there was a, a young girl, she was probably in her definitely early 20s, if not very early 20s, and she was telling me she was going to write a book on parenting. I said, you married? Nope. You have any kids? Nope. Any brothers or sisters? No, but I have my bachelor's degree in early childhood development. I said, yeah, you write that book and then read it in 10 years and you'll tear your book up. When I was in my early 20s and my kids were small, I would have written about how to raise your children as a man of God and direct them when they're small and train them up. Now I've, I've had four teenagers in the house at one time. My book would be something along the lines of how I survived raising my kids, I think. Everybody's got ideas for your kids. In our account today, this isn't an experiment. And when you're a parent and you are desperate and you are looking for hope and dealing with your children, maybe it's your niece or nephew, maybe it's your grandchild, you don't need ideas, you need hope. You don't need someone to experiment with your children, you need hope. Nobody could do anything about it. So what do we do when we can't fix the problem? We argue with each other. Well, your idea obviously is stupid. Look what happened. Well, your idea didn't work either. Well, this child is a mess. Jesus in John 9 was asked one time, so we've got a blind person here. Jesus, who sinned, this person or their parents? We're looking for someone to point the finger at. And Jesus said, neither. Now watch what the power of God is going to do. People will always have wonderful ideas for your children, especially when things seem to be going wrong. Every one of us at one time or another looks at our kids and, and thinks either, what did I do wrong or what could I have done differently? Or how did we end up here? Sometimes we fight so hard when our kids are small for what they watch or the friends they have around, how much they sleep, how much hand sanitizer we bathe them in, how their diet is so perfect, gluten-free, chemical-free, no GMOs. I mean, we do everything we can. And then we look at them and Sometimes they've got to choose their own way, and we wonder, how did this happen? And you look at the kid down the road whose parents didn't even seem to care. The diet was a steady feed of hot dogs and sugary cereal. There were no bedtimes. Homework was an option. And yet they're winning a Nobel Prize. And we look at our kids, and we care. We look at our grandkids, and we care. We look at our kids around us, and we care, and we say, God, what happened? And some of you with infants right now are going, oh, Lord, what did I get into? There will come these moments. And this is our second helpful hint today. This is the second blank on the outline. Your kids, no matter what they go through, don't catch God by surprise. Your kids, don't catch God by surprise, no matter what they do or go through. Here's a promise to every parent out here. Your child is not going to be perfect. You know how I know that? Because they come from imperfect parents. Your kids are going to do some things that are going to make you flinch. Your children are going to drive you to your knees more than you ever thought. And once again, there will be those moments of shock. There may be feelings of disappointment. Why? Because they're human and parents, so are you. We all are. They're not perfect, and neither are you. So 
right after Christmas, <coughs> I was taking my daughter back <coughs> to college in Tennessee, and we were talking, and all of a sudden she starts telling me about all this stuff from her freshman year, and she's a good girl, loves God, but there's just some stuff. She was like, yeah, some of my friends were doing this, and we went too. And I'm like, why are you telling me this? Do you think I want to hear this? I went from there up to see my son in D.C. area, and he's like, yeah, Dad, my senior year in high school. And I'm like, stop! I don't want to know this. And then another one of my children, all three in one week, felt like they had to have the, the confessional moment. And I asked my wife, I was like, Why? She said, well, we've always had an environment of openness and honesty. I looked at my wife and I said, I want lies from here on out. I just want to think I was a great dad. I don't want to hear anything that went wrong. If your world is falling apart, you just tell me that Jesus is taking care of it. Because that's all I want to know. Our worlds are going to seem sometimes like they're falling apart. Like we're looking at our kids and we're like, God, do something. But nothing they're going through catches him by surprise. Nothing they do catches him by surprise. This dad does the best thing he could do, and he brings his child to Jesus. Jesus wasn't there, so he does what he thinks is the next best thing. He brings him to his disciples. And throw in a few Pharisees. Nothing happens but an argument. Finally, Jesus comes down the mountain with the three. And here's the thing that blows me up, just blows my mind about Jesus in this. Here's this argumentative scene Here's the son who's thrown into convulsions. And Jesus is calm. Jesus is calm. There's no freak out in him. If it was me and I'm watching this happen, I'm like all over it. The blood of Jesus, come out! You know, I'm freaking out. Jesus, what does Jesus do? So, how often does this happen? Hmm. Tell me a little more about it. Nothing your kids go through is going to catch Jesus off guard. Is this it? I wonder if the dad's watching his son. It says his son goes into another convulsion, another moment down there. And, and, and Jesus is just asking questions. Jesus, is this what you have in mind? Is this how you're going to take care of it? Jesus, what are you going to do about this? I have prayed that prayer so many times. Jesus, you've got to do it now. Because if you don't do it now, you probably won't get another chance. Who's God and who's not? Nothing your children go through or do will catch God by surprise. We've got to trust him with it. We pray. We'll get to that in a moment, but we trust him with it. Why? Because we get caught in the short-sightedness of things. Here's number three, the blank number three. No matter how long it takes or how bad it gets, don't give up. No matter how long it takes or how bad it gets don't give up 21b is kind of a telling moment i've always pictured this as as a boy being a small child but if you read 21b jesus asks, how long has this gone on the dad says from his childhood so if he's referring to a point in the past as his childhood this is either a older child early early teens kind of years or this may be a grown son and yet, just like our woman that we studied and talked about two weeks ago, the dad didn't give up. The dad didn't quit. The dad doesn't give out and give up on hope. In the conversation between Jesus and the dad, we hear a grown 
man, a dad, talking to a real person in Jesus and just pouring out his heart. And this is the thing that always amazes me in these types of conversations. Just like our woman uh, two weeks ago that we talked about. Here Jesus came to save the world. You think you have a big responsibility on your job? Jesus came to save the world, and yet he'll stop everything to have a conversation with one person in you. Everything else that goes on, and we hear, you know, God's got other things to handle. There's bigger things going on in the Middle East. There's problems going on with child trafficking, and all that is true. And God has his finger on the pulse of it. And yet with everything else going on, he'll stop to hear you. And he'll stop to answer for you. There's a pastor in California, his name is John MacArthur. He said, he says he points out the father was not coming to Jesus in power. The father was coming to him as a person. If there's anything demonstrated in the miracle ministry of Jesus Christ, it is the compassion of God. He cares about your pain, he cares about your suffering, and he cares about the struggle you have with your children. He cares about the things that break your heart, and he wants to hear. This is not just a great power. This is the person of Jesus. This is the ultimate person. No matter how long it's been, no matter how bad it seems, don't give up hope. Next week we're going to talk about what if I'm not getting the answers, especially the answers I thought I would get? We don't give up hope then either. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15, it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize, empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us approach then God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive and find grace to help us in our time of need. We've got someone we can go to no matter what the need. This is the next blank. God is more capable of doing things that are beyond our control. No matter how hopeless you may feel, hold on to hope. No matter how hopeless you may feel, hold on to hope. We had this a few weeks ago in a series um, and it's just simply this. It's one statement. God's got this. We don't. And it may feel totally out of our control. But God's got this. I want you right now to think of the one thing that you feel like is hopeless. It may be your children. It may be your parents. It may be your job. It may be your finances. It may be your health. It may be your neighbors. It may be a relationship. God's got this. On three, say it with me. Ready? One, two, three. God's got this. Think of what it is, and I want you to tell the problem. On three, ready? One, two, three. God's got this. You may not see the answer. You may take them to the most religious people that you know. But God's got this. The Pharisees, disciples, they tried to solve it on their own strength their own power, maybe because they had had success in the past and they tried a formula or a book. But Jesus says you need to be dependent on me. For every spiritual miracle that the Lord ever does, we have to be dependent on him. For every situation, 
in which hope is necessary. Our hope has to be in him. Here's this dad. I believe. I believe. Help my unbelief. Because Jesus says everything is possible to him who believes. I believe. (coughs) Help my unbelief. The dad hears the statement. He wants to believe. But at the same time, he's watching his son thrashing on the ground again. You may be watching your child do the same thing, break the same power, have the same pattern again. I believe. I want to believe, God. I want to believe you're going to do something with this. Help my unbelief. It says that the father exclaimed this. So this wasn't a simple conversational, I believe. I got this. Matthew says that as he says it, he falls to the ground. I believe, I'm desperate for this. I believe, please help my unbelief. Please help my unbelief. The Greek word for this, the way this is worded, is run to my unbelief. God, if I can't get to you with my faith, please come to me. If I can't get to you to hold on to you for the answer, and I just feel like I've got no steps left in me, run to me. Help me in my unbelief. If I can't get there, Lord, I thank you that you'll come here. Don't quit. Hold on to hope. All things are possible to those who believe. But to what degree do I need to believe? I do believe. Help my unbelief. We'll never have a perfect faith. Going back to what we said earlier, we're not perfect people. God's worthy of a perfect faith because he's a perfect God. But in our imperfection, he meets us where we are. Hold on to hope. According to the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, we walk by faith and not by sight. Galatians chapter 2, we live by faith in the Son of God. Hebrews chapter 11, without faith it is impossible to please God. And faith is the evidence of things hoped for. The evidence of things, the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things unseen. Faith is the dominating feature of the life of someone who calls themselves a Christian. A Christ follower. We have to put our hope and our faith entirely in what we cannot see. Lord, I believe, but I'm not seeing it. Help my unbelief. Lord, I know you can do something. But I'm so afraid at the moment. Run to me in my unbelief. Run to me in my doubt. God, meet me where I am. Grab my hand and bring me the rest of the way. Jesus does the miracle. And after all the years, the tears, the fears, the anxiety, the anger, this child is set free. The dad is thrilled. The disciples are perplexed. What happened? We've done this stuff before. Jesus, you told us we cast out demons. We've done it time and time again. What happened? We did the 19 steps. We watched all the videos. We went through all the classes, and it didn't work. What happened? Jesus says, this type doesn't come out by yelling, nagging, complaining. Parents make a note of that. And every teenager just threw an elbow into the rib of their mom or dad. He says, this type only comes out By prayer. Matthew says, by prayer and fasting. Parents, I want to encourage you in this last point. Be ready 
to take some bold steps. Be ready to take some bold steps. Some of you may have cruised through life as far as this walk with Jesus is concerned. You've kept it at a safe distance. You've kept it a nice ritual. You've kept it to a Sunday morning thing. Jesus is saying, it's not going to work with a formula. Sometimes it's going to take going beyond what you've done as your norm, your comfort zone. This type only comes out by prayer and fasting. And I, I think it's pretty cool, the, the Greek word uh, that it talks about here when he says this only comes out by prayer and fasting. It's genos, and the word there is species. This species only comes out by prayer and fasting. And some of you with teenagers are going, that makes sense. <laughs> this species only comes out by prayer. Press into God because he's the source in this. Jesus, in effect, is saying, in moments like this, you need to live closer to God. Not that there's a magic lifestyle formula, but it's knowing God's heart in this. And any one of us who have watched our kids go through something and have to say, Lord, they're a grown-up now, and I've got to trust them to you. There has to be a trust and a peace of being able to say that and, and release them to the Lord that can only be had when you know God's heart and that he loves them even more than we do. Amen. The control is out of our hands. I've read a hundred different explanations and heard a hundred different explanations for this, but it's amazing that no matter what the problem you may be facing, maybe it's not your kids or family, maybe it is one of the other things we talked about, but when we lose that connection to God, we lose our vitality to fight the fight in the battle. Jesus said, this type only gets an answer through prayer. Not by doing what you've always done. And when we think we can handle it ourselves, we lose our humility. I'll do it myself. I'll handle it myself. Jesus says, nope. This type is only going to change through prayer. Prayer and fasting is a reminder to us that we're not the source. Even when it comes to our own flesh and blood, we may try to understand, but to understand what God is up to or why he is allowing certain things to happen or why this rebellion, turmoil, or torture, whatever it is, prayer sinks our heart to God's to know that he's got this. We have faith and not fear, hope and not just heartbreak despite the circumstances as he gives us strength to believe. As he runs to us, when we're in our place where we feel like we can't do anything else. Let's put our hope, our faith and trust in him. As we already sang, our only hope is in Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Is there anyone here that maybe right now your house is a wreck, maybe your kids are groaning out and the struggle is there and you kind of feel like this dad bringing your child to Jesus whether they're young or whether they're grown and you may be in that spot where you almost feel hopeless God I believe but you got to meet me in my unbelief I believe in God I believe you're out there I believe you're there I believe you can do some miraculous things but I don't know if you'll do it in my situation If you're in that spot with a child or a grandchild, 
a niece or a nephew, you're losing sleep. You don't want to eat. It's always the thing in the back of your mind. It's the thing that brings you to tears when no one else knows what's going on, but you keep playing a story maybe from the past over and over in your head. You keep thinking, what if I would have done or what if I hadn't said? Or, it's got to, you got to let it go. Just like this dad, we got to bring him to Jesus. None of this is going to catch him by surprise. If that's where you are this morning, would you just raise your hand? And I want to pray for you. And I want to pray for my own home. And I want to pray that we see God's hand at work. Because he's got this. I don't know what he's up to. I wish I could promise you a day and a date and a time. A magic thing to pray and everything will be fine. Send this much to this ministry on TV and all your prayers are answered. It doesn't work that way. But God, as scripture says, is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask, think, or imagine. And right now, we're going to hold on to that. And for those of us who may be in a spot of unbelief, let's pray and ask God to run to us and meet us right where we are. Let's live this life by faith. Father, we thank you for a love that doesn't abandon us. For a love that doesn't abandon our children or our grandchildren. And Lord, whatever they may be going through, you know the situation in every home where a hand went up. In every circumstance of a child or a parent or a grandchild who just seems to be turning their back on you. And it's in there. They may have been raised in it. They may have understood. Maybe they never had a foundation of knowing who you are. But God, your word says you're married to the backslider. You go after those who run from you. And today, Lord, we just pray that you're all over them and that we release our children, our, our grandchildren, our parents, our families to you. And we hold out hope that even when we don't see what you're up to, that you're up to something. And we look forward to the day when this test is their testimony, when this battle results in victory. We stand together in faith. Lord, as we prepare to take communion, the bread and the juice, I pray that we remember where we were as your children, keeping you at a distance, doing our own thing, saying, not now, Dad, not now, God. But Lord, the Bible says, while we were yet sinners, while we were yet pushing you away, Christ died for us. I pray, Lord, as we take communion, that we remember that you've got this. Nothing is beyond your grasp. In Christ's name we pray.